Hi, I'm Carly Agar, and after 10 years of building my own career in the field, I'm now an award-winning career coach for current and aspiring customer success pros. And this is the first customer success podcast that gives you easy-to-apply strategies and tips to help you score your dream job, secure your next big promotion, or become the top performer on your team. Think of this podcast as your weekly dose of career growth hacks to not only explore what's possible for you in your career, but help you decide where you want to go. And of course, give you all the steps to get there. Welcome to the Customer Success Career Coach Podcast. If you want to know what it takes to have a wildly successful career in customer success, then stay tuned because today I'm talking about the two critical skills you need that no one really talks about. Welcome to the first, the inaugural, the premier episode of the Customer Success Career Coach. First, I just want to thank you so much for being here. To kick things off, I'm going to answer a question that I get all the time, which is, how did you go from being in sales to being a CSM to then owning your own career coaching business in customer success? So not only will I share how the heck I ended up here and why I made the choices I did throughout my career, but I'm also going to reveal what I believe are the only two things you need to do to basically guarantee that you have the career that you want in customer success. And I promise you'll leave here today with a bunch of actions you can start taking right away, whether you're brand new to customer success or you've already got a couple years under your belt. If I were to draw my career on a timeline, it'd basically look like this. So I started in sales at a huge corporate company. From there, I moved into customer success at a teeny tiny tech startup. I'm talking fewer than 30 employees. Then I had a very short gig at just a bad fit company. I would say this was my bad fit role in my career. From there, I then went to another teeny tiny startup where I quickly moved from an SMB CSM, all the way up to a strategic CSM. At that same company, I then created my own role where I did customer success enablement, but from a slightly different angle than what you're probably used to hearing about. And I'll talk a little bit more about that later. After customer success enablement, I then left my quote unquote nine to five customer success job to start my own company. And to date, I have now coached well over 450 people to land jobs in customer success alongside a small team that I have put together. Now, I'll admit, I consider my career, the timeline that I just laid out for you, to be very successful. But please keep in mind that the word success is subjective. So what I think is successful, you might not. And what you think is successful, I might not. And that's really important. Success should be personal. So 
if you hear about my career and you hear me saying, I've had so much success and you're thinking, but Carly, I really want to be a VP of customer success. How could you consider what you've done successful? It's because I have a very different and personal, unique definition of success, as do you, as does everybody else. So I just wanted to call out that quick caveat before we continue. Success is whatever you want it to be, and it should be personal to you. With that aside, I will say everything I've accomplished in my career, I attribute to just two skills. And you might hear that and think, there's no possible way. You need to have so many skills, especially in customer success, to be successful. But I would go as far as saying that without these two skills, I would be nowhere near where I am today. I would not have achieved half of the things that I have been able to achieve. And what's crazy to me is these are two skills that I rarely ever see anyone talking about. It kind of blows my mind, honestly, that no one talks about these things or teaches other people how to hone these skills because they are that important. So what are the two skills? The very first skill that you need to be successful in your customer success career is you need to get really good at self-reflection. And I'm not talking about big picture, align your values with your work type of self-reflection. I'm talking the nitty gritty, get to know yourself at a very deep, maybe even scary level type of self-reflection. What do I mean by getting to know yourself at a really nitty gritty, scary level? I'm going to give you a couple of examples. So number one is what is your learning style? For instance, do you learn better by doing? Do you just like to be told, go do this thing, you go do it on your own and you learn it? Or do you learn better by watching and by being taught? What makes you feel good throughout your workday? It might sound kind of ridiculous, but is it Getting called out in a Slack channel that the whole company can see, is that something that makes you feel good? Or do you prefer to just get paid for doing a good job? Do you like an extra commission check that tells you you're doing a good job? It's these tiny little detailed things about what makes you happy, what makes you unhappy, what makes you feel motivated, what makes you feel productive, what makes you feel successful. Those are the things I'm talking about when I say self-reflection. And what I can say with certainty is if you don't get good at self-reflection, what will probably happen or maybe already has happened is you are way more likely to end up in bad fit roles throughout your career and end up at companies where the culture is just not the right place for you. If you don't get good at self-reflection, you might find yourself spending a lot of time doing things you don't want to do or enjoy doing at work. 
So you might just find that you really dislike or even dread your job. And without good self-reflection, you're just not going to perform as well as you could, which means you may struggle to get promotions. You may continuously get passed up by someone else on the team. Now, what's awesome is once you get really good at self-reflection, I guarantee, I guarantee you'll find yourself in roles and companies where you feel at home. You'll spend more time doing the things you enjoy doing and avoiding the things you don't. So you'll just enjoy work more. And because you're doing the things you enjoy, you'll perform so much better, which means you'll make more money and you'll just have more opportunities throughout your career. As I think back about my career, I can think of a ton of instances where self-reflection served me so much. And had I not built up that skill, had I not gotten really, really good at self-reflection, I wouldn't have made some of the big decisions that I think led me to where I am today. So there were definitely some times where I learned that I had not yet learned self-reflection. And then there were times where I felt that I had developed the skill so well and that it was serving me. So let me share a couple of examples. Learning style is so important. It is so important to know how you learn the best. What's going to set you up for success? What do you need in order to become a valuable contributor to your team? Now, this is one of those lessons that I learned the hard way. So I alluded to being at a bad fit company at one point in my career, and this was solely because I had not yet done the self-reflection around my learning style, and therefore I was not able to properly vet this company as a fit for me. What do I mean specifically? So this company's new CSM onboarding process was what I would consider to be somewhat unique in that they essentially brought a bunch of new CSMs on at once. So we all started on the same day. They put us in a room and they said, you have two weeks to basically learn everything there is to know about our product, which was highly technical, by the way. And then at the end of your two weeks, you are going to take a test and it's pass fail. If you fail, you will no longer have a job. And if you pass, then there will be a series of other basically tests that you have to take, presentations that you have to give, things like that. Wow. What I learned in this role is I do not learn by reading and watching videos, and having to take tests. I learned so much faster and just at a higher quality when I can just dive right into something and kind of fail along the way. So I like to be thrown into new things and learn by doing. Now, as you can imagine, if that was the beginning of my time at this company, this was the beginning of my experience with them, Because I was being forced to learn in a way that was completely on the opposite end of the spectrum of how I learn the best, 
it was not going to be a good experience for me, right? Maybe there was some chance that things were going to turn around and I was going to feel like it was a good fit. But when you're a new employee, you are so vulnerable. And those first couple of weeks, that impression is very lasting. And so I think that had I known, had I taken the time to really self-reflect and think, what is my learning style? Then I could have asked this company during my interviews, hey, what does the onboarding look like? Can you, you know, kind of paint a picture for me of the first two to four weeks? And had I done that and had I known that I don't learn by taking tests, then I probably would not have accepted this job and I probably would have kept looking. And so that's just one tiny example of throughout my career, how not being good at self-reflection yet in that moment didn't serve me. And it left me at a company where it was a terrible fit. I was not happy. I did not perform well during my time there. And I left in, I think it was less than 10 months. And of course, now I can look back and say I learned a really valuable lesson and no career story is perfect, right? Of course, hindsight is always twenty twenty, But I do think that that experience really highlighted for me Hey, you've got to you've got to slow things down when it comes to job searching. You've got to really think about every aspect of this role that you're thinking about accepting because at the end of the day, finding yourself in a bad fit role is not a good feeling, especially when it's such a bad fit that you leave in less than a year. If you've ever been in that situation, you know it doesn't feel good. So, that's one example of where had my self-reflection skill been a little bit stronger, I don't think I would have ended up at this bad fit company. Aside from learning style, another thing to self-reflect on that will serve you in your career is just simply what makes you feel good throughout your day. And I'm not talking about big things like, oh, I like to be an enterprise CSM. No, I'm talking about little things throughout your day that give you joy. So I have a really specific example of how this served me in my career. As you probably already know, there is kind of like two sides of customer success, right? There is customer success that has commercial responsibility, that owns revenue metrics like renewals and expansions. And then there's customer success where they're not quite measured by revenue metrics, right? We, they don't have what we call commercial responsibility. And so as a professional in customer success who has sought out jobs before in the field, I know that one of the big decisions that you're faced with is, do I want a role where I have commercial responsibility, where I have revenue numbers that I'm tied to, or do I want a customer success role where I don't have that responsibility? And I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt that I always leaned towards the customer success roles with revenue responsibility, you're never going to guess what it is because it's so silly. I 
and I'm not ashamed to admit this, get such a dopamine hit from closing deals, or at least I did in a CSM role. I freaking loved when the company's sales Slack channel would go off and like my name would be there. I just, I loved it. I thought it was great. It was fun. It made me feel good. It made me feel accomplished. I loved seeing the immediate impact of something that I'd done. And that might sound absolutely crazy to you because you might be thinking, I freaking hate selling. I hate having a revenue number that I'm attached to. But that is why self-reflection is so important because you need to define what success looks like for you based on what's going to make you happy, not based on what makes other people happy. I have another really good example of how self-reflection really helped me avoid the most common career paths and Instead of following career paths that were laid out in front of me, that were the popular career paths, especially in customer success, I really carved my own path and was like, if you guys are going left, I'm going right. I'm doing my own thing. I don't want to do what you're doing because I don't think I'm going to be happy. So the example here is my choice to never become a people manager. I would say I knew pretty early in my customer success career that I never had the desire to manage a customer success team. I was so certain it was not for me. And again, some of the reasons that I'm going to share, you might be thinking, what? That is so specific. But this is what I mean by getting to know yourself at maybe a scary level. So one of the things that I have told a lot of people and they look at me like I'm absolutely crazy is I never wanted to manage a customer success team because I loathe spending all of my time in internal meetings. I just don't enjoy it. Of course, I enjoy having a team and collaborating. I love an internal meeting here and there. Of course, sometimes they are just necessary. But I would look at the calendars of my managers throughout my whole career and I would just say, oh my gosh, this looks like my nightmare. I would not want to spend as much time as you are in internal meetings. And had I not paid attention to that, I honestly probably would have moved into management. I wouldn't have liked it. I probably would have sucked at it. And then I would have felt very lost and very confused. And I doubt, again, that I would have ended up where I am today doing what I love doing. Now, of course, what I would consider the biggest decision that I've made in my career to date was deciding to leave my job. That's not a decision that comes easily. And I would say that deciding to start a business was the culmination of 10 years of self-reflection. I hope you're enjoying this episode. I wanted to interrupt really quickly because the reviews are piling in and people are loving my free interview training. Whether you're currently interviewing for customer success jobs or plan to be in the near future, you're not going to want to miss this free video training where I teach you the best, most effective way to prep for and nail your customer success job interviews. 
You will leave this training feeling more confident and head into your next interview feeling over-prepared. Head to carlyagar.com forward slash freebies to grab the free training. You can also find the link to the free training in today's show notes. Now let's get back to the episode. Two of the big tipping points for me were, number one, I love the ability to be creative. And I didn't know this until I was very close to leaving my quote-unquote nine-to-five job. I hadn't realized this about myself until the very end. But what I realized was silly things like I really like building decks, slide decks. I like creating frameworks. I love taking abstract things and turning them into tangible puzzle pieces that I can hold in my hands and put together. And while, yes, I could do this in customer success, the older I got, the more I craved that ability to be creative and to build things. And at a certain point, my desire for having the ability to be creative was bigger than my desire for the structure and the certainty and some of the other pros that a nine-to-five job provides. Number two, one of my favorite self-reflection questions is what comes easily to me? Because it's usually what comes most easily to you that is where you can add value for a lot of people. For me, it has always been career-related things. Interviewing, I have it down to a science. I always have, to be totally honest. Negotiating, especially when it comes to my own pay or my own salary, easy. Resume writing, can't explain it. My brain just kind of speaks resume. So knowing that all of these things come easily to me and knowing that one of my big motivators, one of the things that I need in order to get out of bed and go to work every day is doing something that feels meaningful it naturally made sense that I took these things I was good at that I enjoyed and used those things to make an impact in helping people in their careers. Now, again, had I not really worked at this self-reflection muscle over the last 10 years, I don't know that I ever would have come to this conclusion that starting a business doing career coaching is the thing that is going to make me the happiest. It's also possible that I did come to this conclusion, but it took me way, way longer, right? So if I hadn't been flexing this self-reflection muscle for so long, maybe it would have been another 10 years until I came to realize all of these things. So self-reflection, I cannot emphasize enough If you get really, really good at it, it will become the guiding light of every career decision that you make. And every decision that you make in your career will have your best interest at the heart of it. Now, hopefully, you're thinking, okay, I get it. I sign me up. I want to get really good at self reflection. What do I do? I'm going to tell you. So, this is a, a practice that you can start. 
literally right now, as soon as you're done listening to this, you can get a piece of paper, open your phone, open your laptop, whatever it is, and you can start doing this right now. All you're going to do is open a blank paper or Word doc. You could do it on your phone. You could do it on an actual piece of paper. It doesn't matter. Just somewhere that you can take notes. And you're going to draw a line down the middle. So you have two columns. On the left, you're going to write no good. And on the right, you're going to write good. And all you're going to do, you can start now. You can start tomorrow. Doesn't matter. Just keep that paper or that notebook or whatever it is out in front of you for the next couple of days, next couple of weeks. You're going to start writing down every time you feel good and every time you feel no good throughout your workday. I don't care how big or small the thing is that's causing you to feel good or causing you to not feel good. If it's something huge, like you close a million dollar deal and get this huge rush of pride when it gets announced, that's great. Put it in the good column. But be specific. Was it closing the deal that felt good? Was it being acknowledged for the deal? Was it both of those things? Be as specific as you possibly can. Now, let's pretend your manager sends you a Slack message that really pisses you off. Put that in the no good column, but again, be specific. Did that Slack message from your manager piss you off because it was after 5 p.m. and you felt like it violated your work-life balance? Did it piss you off because they asked you for something and gave you no direction? Be specific. And what you're going to notice over time are patterns. Like, oh, I really do care about receiving accolades. Okay, how can I use that in my next role? Or, wow, I didn't realize how sensitive I was about work-life balance. That might be my number one priority in my career. Or, hmm, I seem to get very triggered when I'm asked to do something but I'm not given direction. That tells me something about my learning style. Now, if you're not currently working, that doesn't mean that you can't do this. What I would suggest is set a timer for five, 10 minutes a day, no more than 10 minutes, and just visualize being in your past jobs. Like actually sit down, close your eyes, and picture yourself going through the motions of that job and do the same thing. So as you're sitting there visualizing things that made you feel good, things that didn't make you feel good, jot them down. But again, be as specific as you possibly can. We talked a lot about skill number one, which was self-reflection. Skill number two, the second thing that you need to get really, really good at to have a successful career is being able to advocate for yourself. And I mean advocating loudly and often. Advocating for things like money, whether that be negotiating an offer or asking for a promotion. Advocating for your work-life balance. 
advocating for things that you need in order to be successful in your day-to-day work, but also doing a little bit of bragging. If you don't remind people you're great at your job, they're not going to remember that. The reason I am so passionate about self-advocacy and teaching people how to develop this skill is if you don't become good at advocating for yourself, you are oftentimes going to feel lost, overwhelmed, like you have no idea what you're doing or expected to do every day. You probably will have a hard time securing new jobs. You won't be very good at interviewing. You'll definitely struggle to get promotions, internal transfers, and you'll almost definitely be leaving money on the table, which who wants to do that? And if you don't self-advocate, you're also less likely to perform well because you're not speaking up about the things that you need to be successful. However, when you get really, really good at self-advocacy, it will change the entire trajectory of your career. You will feel happier at work. You will play on top of your game. You'll reach big milestones and reach them more quickly, whether it be a big promotion, a big raise, opportunity to own a big project or initiative, whatever it is, you will be more satisfied at work, you will be more confident, and you'll be making more money hands down. Similar to self-reflection, there are several pivotal moments in my career where Advocating for myself truly laid the foundation for some humongous leaps that I made in my career, things that catapulted me probably years ahead of some of my colleagues. The first big moment I can remember in my career where advocating for myself really, really paid off was so early in my career. I was actually still at my first job out of college. And I was looking to leave my first job. So I was looking for my second job out of college. This was a very long time ago. And in that process of looking for a new job, I essentially fell in love with two companies. And I got job offers from both of those companies. And I still remember very vividly that the offers were for $55,000. So I went back to both of them and I was like, I need $75,000 and I'll sign the offer. Thinking, you know what? I've got nothing to lose. I just got two offers. I'm very early in my career. Like, this is kind of fun. Let's just kind of see what happens. Not expecting anything. And one of them did come up to $75,000 and sent me a revised offer letter in, I want to say it was 48 hours. It was very, very quick. And I was stunned, shocked. I remember the moment I was walking on the sidewalk in Hoboken, New Jersey. I had just gotten off the bus. I'm looking through emails on my phone and I see this offer for $75,000. And I was like, what? How is this real? 
all I did was ask for this amount of money and I just got essentially a 40% bump in salary. Crazy. To get that large of a bump in salary that early in my career definitely set the tone for my earning trajectory. At least I think it did. It also ingrained in me, if you don't ask for it, you're never going to get it. So just ask. At some point, I'll do a whole episode on negotiating salary because this is an area where a lot of people are not empowered and really should be. And I just think it's the most fun thing in the world. So we will do a whole separate episode about that. But had I not advocated for myself and asked for more money, the trajectory of my earning potential would have started at a much lower benchmark. Another very pivotal moment of my career was when I actually created my own role as a customer success enablement manager because it allowed me to try out things that I was really wanting to do for so long. I was training CSMs on different skills like how to nurture relationships with executive sponsors, how to present with value these skills that I was like so excited about teaching. I was designing career paths for people who wanted to move into and out of customer success, as well as just move up within customer success. I was designing interview processes and scorecards. It gave me the hands-on experience to validate that's exactly what I wanted to do and should be doing. And without that experience as a customer success enablement manager, I don't know that I would have the business I do today. Maybe I would have eventually, again, come to this conclusion, but it would have taken a lot longer. But had I not advocated for myself, asked for this opportunity to create this role, to do these very specific things that I just really wanted to try, I don't think I would be where I am today. I would not have grown as much as I have in the last three years. I would not have been able to make the impact that I have on so many people's careers, and the list goes on. One thing that I want to call out about this experience of creating my own role is it wasn't just in the actual asking for the role where self-advocacy came into play. Because obviously when you are asking, hey, I want this role, can I do this thing? You're advocating for yourself. But one thing you have to understand is if I hadn't spent four years prior to that advocating for myself consistently, I don't think that asking for that role would have been as easy as it was. I mean, I basically threw together a Google Doc with a job description and they were like, okay, cool, Carly, we trust you, do your thing. If I had not advocated for myself for four years leading up to this big, humongous ask, then I really don't think that I would have been able to do what I did And I wouldn't have had that opportunity to 
test out these things and see, is this really what I want to do with the rest of my career? So it wasn't just in the ask for the job. It was the four years of advocating for myself leading up to that moment that built the trust in the leadership team enough to where they said, you know what, you're coming to us with an ask, we trust you. And so that's why I'm so passionate about self-advocacy because it truly, the power of self-advocacy compounds over time. It is never too early to start advocating. The sooner you start, the better, because if you start now, even if you don't have a big ask, whether it's a promotion or creating your own role or whatever it is, even if that big ask isn't coming for three years, if you start advocating now, three years from now, that ask is going to be so much easier and you're so much more likely to get a yes than if you were to start advocating a couple months leading up to the big ask. So the sooner you start, the better off you're going to be really in every aspect of your career. I could talk about this for hours. We're going to stop there. So how do you start getting good at self-advocacy? It is for sure more difficult than self-reflection because self-reflection, I mean, you could just like sit in your bed and practice self-reflection and no one knows about it. Doesn't require you to change your outward behavior. But with self-advocacy, it definitely does require that you change your outward behavior. So it is going to make you more uncomfortable. It is going to be a little bit more difficult to learn. I'm going to give you two things that you can start doing right now to start building that self-advocacy muscle. And this way, you can pick which one resonates with you. Option one is going to be for anyone who is hoping for a raise. Whether you are hoping for one in the near future, you've been waiting for one, whatever it is, anyone who's hoping for a raise, this one is going to be for you. So to start flexing that self-advocacy muscle, all I want you to do is commit to asking someone, anyone at your company, what the approval process for raises looks like. Now. The reason this works, it gets you talking about money without it being personal. So it kind of removes some of that ickiness we associate with raises and promotions and money because we're not talking about it in the context of, hey, I want more money. We're talking about money for me. We're just talking about it from the context of a process. What is the process at our company to get a raise or a promotion approved? There's also less rejection in it because when you frame it this way, you're purely just showing curiosity. You're just seeking information. So if you've been afraid to ask for a raise, you're thinking about asking for a raise, whatever it is, I just want you to commit to asking someone at the company, hey, out of curiosity, what does this approval process look like? Who's involved? How long does it usually take? 
Option two. So let's say that you are not necessarily looking for a promotion, but you have some needs at work that are not being met. And it could be something small like, I don't have this software that would really help me. Or I'm being asked to do way too much. My manager doesn't listen to me and I don't have work-life balance. This will really work in a lot of situations. Okay, so here's all you're going to do. You are going to commit to using this sentence. Can I offer a different perspective on that? And then you will have to offer your perspective at the end. So I'm going to play this out. I think this will make a lot more sense. Let's say you are the person who is struggling with work-life balance, your manager keeps dumping things on you, and you're not quite sure how to tell them. You're not quite sure how to express your needs. What you can say is, so let's pretend you're in a situation where you're already kind of struggling with work-life balance and your manager dumps a new task on you. And they say, hey, I really need you to start prioritizing this every week. It's really critical that you do this because if you don't, our customers are not going to pay us and we might not get commission. Okay, I'm making up this scenario, but your manager has given you a new thing. They've told you why it's critical that you do this thing. But you're sitting there, you're spiraling. You're like, oh my gosh, okay, this is going to take me two hours every week. That's two hours that I'm not proactively reaching out to my customers, which means I'm probably going to have more churn, which means I'm probably not going to hit my numbers, which means I'm not going to get my commission. You're just spiraling. You don't know how to voice that to your manager. So what you do is you use the sentence. After they say, hey, can you do this thing? It's really critical because X, Y, Z. You can respond with, got it. Can I offer a different perspective on that? I totally understand why billing is important. I also think that adding this to our to-do list will mean that we're not being as proactive with our customers, which could end up meaning that we have more churn next quarter. So I just want to make sure that we are considering all of the possible consequences of adding this to our to-do list and just share that perspective as well. Similar to option one, in this option, what we're doing is, again, we're making it a little bit less personal. We're not saying, oh, no, I can't do that. I'm already too busy. You know, I can't make the time for this. I need to make sure I'm hitting my numbers. Me, 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 I, I, I. Instead, we're saying, can I offer a different perspective on that? Which makes it less personal and is just a really easy way to advocate for yourself. As we're approaching the end of episode one here, I just want to say thank you again for being here. I'm incredibly grateful to just be a small, teeny tiny part of your career journey. My hope is that through this podcast, I will bring you tons of ideas of things you can start doing right away to start or grow your career in customer success. And make sure you join us for episode two. You will not want to miss it because in episode two, I'm talking about what I've learned analyzing the job market for the last three years and what that means for you as a job seeker in customer success. It's going to be a juicy one.
That's it for today's episode. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you love today's episode or if you want to continue the conversation, come hang out with me on LinkedIn. Connect with me, follow me, or message me over there. I'm at linkedin.com forward slash in forward slash Carly dash Agar. And if you haven't already, don't forget to follow the show wherever you listen to your podcast so you don't miss any future episodes. I'll catch you next time.